Hey, hi, hello. Welcome to episode 30 of Trail Society brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. And we are joined today by a friend of the pod, Miss Danielle Snyder. Hello, Danielle. Thanks for joining us. Hi. We're really excited to have you back. Those of you who have been longtime listeners will hearken back to a conversation we had with Danielle uh, this past winter where I think you're... Was it cold? Yeah, you were in your van in Keeley's driveway, I'm pretty sure, actually. (laughs) So um, we're happy to have you back in your van uh, streaming in with us, Hillary. Our normal third co-host is still off in Euroland, soaking up a few more miles in the French mountains. But before we dive into the show today, we've got to give a huge shout out to some of the brands making this show possible. And the big one being Athletic Greens. Again, Athletic Greens is my go-to green drink every morning, but it's so much more than a green drink. It's got 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food source nutrients in one convenient daily serving. No more knocking all of your supplement bottles off the counter. One scoop, eight ounces of water. It's all that I need to get my day going. And again, if you would like to try Athletic Greens, you can go to www.athleticgreens.com slash trail society and order your first round of Athletic Greens today. And with that, it's time to talk about races. We're post UTMB week. So things are settling down only, only a little bit. And we're going to hearken back to some stateside races this past week with the rut. I was... I had FOMO. I didn't, it wasn't JOMO. I had FOMO not being at the rut this, uh, this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did too. My coach actually talked to me the other day and he was like, yeah, you know, it's like kind of down season. There's no races coming up. And I'm like, I didn't even get a season. Stop <laughs> it. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Plus like, you just have to go to Arizona. Their season starts <laughs> as soon as it starts to become winter. They, exactly. they can't compete right now. It's like a hundred billion degrees. I don't understand. To be fair, it's like a hundred billion degrees everywhere. Oh, that's right true. Now too. Yeah, I'm like, uh, as I'm like sweating in my van. <laughs> yeah, I little know. JD needed like three walk stop breaks yesterday for some water because it was just way too hot for her on a run. Yeah, hot and potentially smoky, depending on where you're listening mm. from. I know that there's a chance with some northeast winds at the Seattle area. We'll be getting some smoke this weekend from stuff up by the Canadian border. And I'm just like, no, I'm not ready for smoke season. Yeah. Yeah, And and Western States is getting some fire right now too. So sending prayers and thoughts their way. Yeah. I know it's burned across parts of the course um, in Michigan bluff and they've evacuated Michigan bluff and forest Hill, I think at this Mm. point too. So sending lots of love to the trail community out in California, because that is so sad and so scary. Mm-hmm. And beyond just sending love, midterm elections are coming up. And I want to plug POW, who is Protect Our Winners, who is going above and beyond right now to encourage and support people to get out and vote. These are really important elections. Um, you can easily go online and check to see your voting registration and help join the fight against the climate crisis. Yeah, no more smoke seasons, or at least no more long smoke seasons. It's mm-hmm. it definitely feels like we've gotten to a point where it is our our uh, our go to seasonally in seasonal yeah. influx of uh, insane temperatures and insane weather patterns all over all over the U.S. but all over the world yeah. more broadly. I know Europe had insane wildfires and insane heat waves this summer as well, which I don't think is uh, very usual over there. Mm-hmm. No, and Alaska was getting some too, which is yeah crazy. 
Yeah, they get bog fires up there too, and they're extra weird and scary. But speaking of heat, the rut was also very hot this past mm-hmm. weekend, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep we're gonna keep pulling it around. We'll get through some results here, and then we'll dive into some stickier topics. Um, David Sinclair, who is not on the start line for uh, for I think he's supposed to run CCC and uh, stayed stayed stateside, and he's basically done like a huge triple this summer winning like a bunch of very, very respected, um, 50 Ks, including winning the VK at the route this weekend. He beat out, you know, the likes of Cam Smith, who is very, very good at going uphill and Eli Hemming, um, to win the VK. So it was David Sinclair, Cam Smith, and then, uh, Tyler Verman, uh, for third in the VK, a pretty competitive VK there. Anna Gibson, who's a Dina fit athlete, won the women's VK. And I believe that she's part of this new group of collegiate athletes who um, are allowed to hold sponsorships. And mm. we should note that actually, I can't, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but we do know that the women are actually doing better on this front in the NCAA. If they look at it from like a monetary standpoint, the female NCAA athletes who are allowed to bring in sponsorships now are, are outperforming their male counterparts as far as locking down sponsorship dollars. And, and Anna Gibson is one of those athlete. She's going to take a sixth year to run at the university of Washington this fall. Um, but she's from Colorado originally, and has been doing a bunch of, um, trail and mountain running races, mostly in the Cirque series. So she ran the VK and won it this year. And she's, she also ran the 11 K at the rut as well. So staying to those shorter distances ahead of the cross country season. Oh, that's um, so cool to see. Yeah. Super, super cool to see um, investment into those collegiate level athletes and they're going to rock our worlds. I think when they graduate and come join us full time on the trail scene. Mm -hmm. Yep. Stick to the longer distances now. Yeah. Yeah. We've we've graduated. We'll stay, we'll stay long. My 36 year old body's like, Oh, Oh. VK, what is that? Oh yeah. Just heart, just a, just, an hour of hell basically <laughs> um the, the they they do three races just like kind of broken arrow weekend over three days they use the holiday weekend of labor day and so they the 25k as well the 25k is basically the hardest part of the 50k course um it's all the fun stuff in the middle of it um you know similar podium in on the men's side um cam smith took the win eli hemming was second and tyler vermin was third um Though Bailey um, Kowalczyk, she might have had the performance of the day. I think she was something like 30 minutes behind Cam. Like she ran so, so fast. There's a beautiful video of her coming across the finish line and like running like through the banner and like directly into uh, the arms of Johnny Luna Lima, her partner. Um, Happy to have her back on the running scene. Ruby Lindquist, who I believe is another young athlete. I think she's an Alaskan. Um, So another young, young gun. And then Emily Allison, uh, Bozeman. Gal rounded up the podium in third. And then speaking of David Sinclair, he won the 50K and was five minutes under Killian's course record. Um, Killian's had a bunch of stuff taken from him recently, despite winning UTMB. Um, we'll talk about another record of Killian's that got broken over the weekend. But David Sinclair was uh, the winner of the men's 50K and under Killian's course record, won by almost an hour. Drew Coco and Gabe Joyce. I think Gabe was doing the triple crown. So he's doing all three mm. races that weekend was third. Um, on the women's side, Jennifer Lichter, um, <laughs> man, her stock is high. Um, akin to David was at Speedgoat 50K. David won Speedgoat. Jen, uh, Jenny was second after going many miles off course. 
Um, she was fourth overall. She won this race last year and that's where she kind of came onto a lot of our radars. So doubled back to defend her title there from last year, one by 30 minutes. Um, Evie Tate was second, Sarah Kyes, um, who's from the Adirondacks area, kind of racing her back, her racing her way back into the scene. I feel like this season, um, I believe she had COVID this spring and it really kind of put her under for a while, but I think she's also joining the, the North face group to some capacity. She was decked out in a North face kit this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'd be really exciting. That'd be a super exciting move for her if that is the case. So that was the rut. They have a great after party. They like cut people like cut mohawks and mullets into people's ha- hair for them. And <laughs> they've routinely given out free tattoos as well. Yeah. I was like tattoos too, I think. Yeah. Oh, mullets and so tattoos. Fun. The mics put on a really, really great race at big sky. So if you're interested in some gnarly, I mean, th- that 25 K is gonna be one of the hardest 25 Ks in the country. Mm-hmm. So if you, uh, if you want to get weird in Montana, put the rut on your calendar for next year, it's I've run every single distance there and it's super, super fun. Yeah. I'm definitely adding it to my calendar. Okay. Before we dive into some other stuff, we've got some really cool FKTs that happened over the past week. Um, there's been some, there's been a lot of action on the JMT as well. And I believe another JMT attempt is going down on the men's side right now. So we'll have an update in two weeks on that. Cause I think the unsupported record will have th- potentially three, um, leaderboard changes in one season, which is pretty insane. But we said that Killian, Renee, you know, one of the best, the, the goat, not one of the best, the, probably the best, um, athlete of our generation of our time. Um, he lost another record over the weekend and that was the Bob Graham round, um, over in the UK. Um, I actually listened to a great interview with Jack, um, a U.S. based trail runner who went over there and absolutely smashed this FKT. And they're basically just running around on these fells, um, which are basically just like huge grassy slopes. It's a lot of off trail running. It's a lot of awkward running, um, 66 miles or 42 fells, 27,000 feet of climbing. Um, super, super impressive and broke Killian's record by 30 minutes. Oof. Have you ever been over there? I have not. And I think oh, it would be insane. It'd be so, it would be so insane. It'd be so cool to just go do the, the course. Yeah. Just to like, see it, not try to go super fast right away. Yeah. Well, the goal of it was actually to see how many fells you could run in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And then, um, Bob Graham, he was able to do 42 fells in 24 hours. And that became, it was really hard to add any more to that. And so the Bob Graham round kind of became the standard mm, route. That makes sense. Um, and I'm then Googling it was fells right now. I'm like, yeah. what is a fell? <laughs> what is a fell? Um, mm-hmm. and so it's, you know, kind of this historic, this historic round, um, this route they follow to, to start and finish in the same spot. And they're on this big circuit, essentially to tag the top of all these things. And there's kind of been, technically it's like, you can get to them however you want to get to them, but there's kind of been an established route that's deemed the fastest. And that is the the route that Bob Graham took. So it technically is between 63, I think, and 66 miles, depending on route finding, but really, really impressive. Um, Jack kind of really isn't on the, the racing scene so much, but he's really a huge part of the FKT scene and has a bunch of stout stuff in the Northeast um, including like, I think stuff on the PEMI loop and mm. the, like the presidential traverse and kind of the hot traverse out there. So an interesting character to keep your eye on. And I listened to, I would recommend, um, his podcast interview with Finn, um, on the single track podcast. If you haven't listened to it, super, super interesting guy. So 
that's my plug, my plug for another podcast. If you're currently listening to us, well, please come back, <laughs> but, but please, please come back. Go listen to the interview and then come right back here. Yeah. Another nice FKT of the weekend was Courtney Dewalter. She absolutely smashed the previous FKT on the collegiate loop in Colorado. Um, that was 160 miles east and west side of the collegiate peaks. Um, and she broke both the men's and the women's past FKT. Um, she ran around 40 hours and the previous female record was held by Annie Hughes at around 61 hours. And Nick Petitella had the men's record at 48 hours. So she beat them by good margin. And yeah. she had such a squad out there. What a cool little community came out to join her. I think Annie Hughes even came out to yeah. join her on it. And so that was really cool to see. Yeah, it's it was super, super impressive. And she, you know, not that long after Hard Rock and she's setting up to run um, Grand Raid mm. in end of October on La Reunion. Mm. So. Right, because after Dylan said it was the hardest thing he ever did, she said, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> she was like, that sounds great. Yeah, it's it's super, super nasty. Tons of climbing and descending and you're not allowed to use poles. So it's, mm. it's absolutely brutal sounding. But That's crazy. We're big fans, so we'll be watching. <laughs> but speaking of fkts um danielle we talked about this last time you were on too but you're part of the women who fkt community and we kind of would love to hear kind of an update as far as you know how are things going over the summer with that organization and with women um and other individuals setting fkts yeah i would love to check in about that i mean the big premise behind women who fkt is we want trails and ultras to be a welcoming place for all different kinds of women. BIPOC women, queer women, transgendered women, neurodivergent women, and non-binary athletes. We want to hold and open up space for them. And um, right now we're aware of nine women from underrepresented groups who have set FKTs since the start of this project. Um, that is a huge fit step forward. And we really want to welcome anyone needing some support or wanting to be a part of a community that is um, trying to break down barriers. So uh, right now, since we started, we have 58 women setting their first FKT. Um, in the past, women have made up a third uh, to a quarter of the FKTs, but we have exceeded that this we have exceeded that thus far. And for a month or so, we had set more um, FKTs. Women had set more FKTs than men. That's awesome. And then also, just to kind of like add, um, if anyone saw the newsletter that came out from the, I, the fastest known time, they send out, I believe it's like weekly newsletters, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Aubrey Drake um, placed the first non-buried non-binary time on the board on 12 different routes. And they wrote a really great piece on understanding the struggle and how, you know, as a society, we can support a more diverse um, trail community. So I definitely think it's worth the read. Yeah. And we'll link that article in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's really, really cool to see that inclusion. And I, I think we want to just kind of vocalize that, you know, we want to do everything we can to support that diversity and inclusion in, in our sport. There were some kind of mean comments or cruel comments like to, to the FKT social media posts about it. And that seems, um, you know, like we're, 
we don't stand by any of that and uh, hope hopeful that we can help educate people and center voices of people who are coming from those communities. So here, here for all of that. Yeah. And in a less happy, more sorrow note, I feel like the whole running community is mourning right now Mm -hmm. Um, for Lisa Fletcher, who was abducted during an early morning run on her usual running route and then later found murdered. Um, And I think this has just brought up a lot of things for a lot of runners and a lot of companies. Um, The thing I noticed right away before I even read the, the news article about Liza was that Strava just defaulted your privacy settings for you to the last the last and first one eighth mile of your run um, so that nobody can see where you're starting or ending. Um, But I think this is like, you know, this is something that needed to be done a long time ago. And I think we need to just have bigger conversations now about how to keep people safe from privacy lens, as well as just on a running lens, because a lot of women have these struggles every single day. I know Danielle's had a lot of experiences even here in Portland, Oregon, where, you know, we're, we're arguably in a relatively safe area, but she had a, an experience in forest park where she was chased. And I mean, I'll let her kind of talk you through that, but in general, this is very, very common, right. And it's something we need to be aware of as a community and figure out ways to make it more achievable for women to run without having these thoughts. I was reading something like 80% of women have been like harassed, chased or grabbed on a run, which is like insanity. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's just not an acceptable amount. And I think, I don't know where they got this number from, but I was reading another article that said like 60% of women have like chosen to um, transition to running indoors now because they don't feel safe. Yeah, there was, um, I'm trying to remember the database from it, but I've read the same the same yeah. article and I, I think I've cited it um, in some places, but yeah, it's like people have, people alter their, their they alter how they dress. They alter if they're going to exercise at all. They They move their running into safer, locations or don't do it. And it's like, I hate this conversation. I hate having to talk about safety because yeah. it's, we shouldn't have to have this conversation. You should feel safe when you're running. You should feel safe being outside. Yeah. But you know, I think the hard part is, is the reality that is what we have control over right now, you know, and as frustrated as I get about it, I'm like, that is the only way I feel any sense of control is by altering certain elements of my lifestyle to be as safe as possible. Um, because we can't necessarily, we can educate and we can talk about it in society and we can help other people be more aware. But like right now in this moment, the thing that we as women can do and have control over is helping ourselves be more safe. Yep. Yep. And that can be kind of being a united front. But I've had this conversation with Steven too, being like, you know, have you ever felt afraid on a run? Uh, how about like walking home? Like what, what a universal experience for women who have like lived in a city or even like not even a big place in that, that yeah. universal experience of like walking home from a bar and being like, I think I'm going to run home now. And, you know, like getting your keys out and putting them between yeah. your knuckles. Like men have not had that. Most men have not had that experience, you know? And I think that goes, I think people of color have this experience. I think mm-hmm. transgender individuals have this experience, non-binary individuals, women have this experience. And it's like, it's hard to explain to someone who's never felt unsafe in their surroundings, what, what it's like to, to question, you know, this, to, to be running by yourself and to see another individual and have to immediately kind of put your guard up and wonder like, am, is this, am I safe around this person? Like, do I need to move to the other side of the street? Do I need to change my, change my pattern? Like it's, yeah. 
that's like a really sad, real, but a very real conversation that many of us have had to have with, with our significant others or with our community members. Um, it's just, it's, I'm tired of it. Yeah. I think it's challenging too, because it doesn't really matter if the person's intentions are innocent because of these experiences. I'm automatically to protect myself, assuming that this person isn't safe. And it's like, I have these experiences a lot because I do a lot of solo adventures and, and like I will, after 20 miles come up and there'll be someone there. And my automatic reaction is like, how can I keep myself safe? And you know, like I don't, they could be completely harmless, but you know, same thing for like someone running too close behind you, because I have had a couple of experiences that were very jarring to me. Um, like if someone comes running up behind me and they're not saying something, I assume they're coming after me and it could just be passing. So like one of the, um, tidbits I give to people is like, announce yourself, say, Hey, I'm coming up. I'm going to pass you on the left. And it's like a really easy way to decrease someone's anxiety about being passed, especially, you know, not knowing what they've experienced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Being cognizant. And and I think that's hard for a lot of people, right. To like, be like, okay, like what might this other person be thinking or feeling? It's hard yeah. when you don't know everyone's past experiences. And, and it's kind of like, you have to just assume maybe that everyone's had a ne- negative experience and, and 80%. Yeah. You know? But if, yeah, but to Daniel's point, and I've felt this way a lot. Like if you're, if you're running and someone does, and you are passing someone or someone is passing you and they don't say anything and they don't get out of the way, like I'm immediately flagging them as someone that is scary, but if they mm-hmm. like step aside, they look you in the eyes and they say like, good morning, excuse me, or something like they acknowledge you, that f- makes me feel a lot better. And so I wonder if like, if that's a baby step, you know, where people could at least start being more cognizant of one another. It's more like just a human thing. It's like, let's treat each other a little bit more like humans, be a little bit more compassionate on the trails and we'd, we'd all feel a little bit better. Yeah. And I think that kind of part of the conversation going on right now is like, well, why was she running at 4.30 in the morning? Ugh. And it's like, a lot of us run at 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. Like policing what people are wearing, policing when they're running. Like it's all, it's all pretty irksome. I know. I mean, I can't, I regularly run when it's dark out. And actually, you know, this, I I don't run, like I get comfortable and I have air shock headphones. And so like, if I'm running in town, I'll be like, oh yeah, it's like, okay to wear these. And then you know, something else happens. And I'm like, it is not okay to wear these, Danielle. Like, what are you doing? Um, but I guess I'm like, why wouldn't you run at 4.30? I mean, like, I understand the dangers, but also across, like, I have known people who've gotten attacked in daylight. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah. like, very, very real. I've got a friend who was macheted on the Embargadero in the middle of the day in San Francisco. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? yeah, things, that's okay. <laughs> that like it's the world is a wild place. And like, yeah. as I think this kind of goes full circle to what Daniel said, like, what can you do? Like keep yourself safe, keep your friends safe, keep your family yeah. safe, like look out for each other mm-hmm. and trust your, I mean, just to piggyback off mm-hmm. that, trust your instincts. I think that's like one of the things a lot of us have been taught as women and like pre-programmed out that like, you don't want to look rude, but if you are getting any type of feeling that like someone is making you feel uncomfortable, it's okay if you look rude, like get, get out of there. Like (laughs) it doesn't matter. You are like, 
your instincts, the way I explain it often to clients is like, we are picking up millions of pieces of data that we don't necessarily can verbalize. And so if your instincts are like the hair on the back of your neck is going up or your arms, like that's your body picking up on something that you may not be able to verbalize. So don't doubt it. Just go with it. Yeah. Listen to it. Listen to it. Keep yourself safe and hug, hug your, your friends and family extra close, I think is what most of us are feeling this week when you're dealing with tragedy. So, um, I think that's what most people are. There's a lot of stuff going around right now to raise some money and to kind of finish, finish Liza's run. I think it's been a lot, a lot of the thing, um, going on there. So reach out to community, find a way to support each other. Um, but you know, I think we're going to, we're going to move on to some equally difficult, but hopefully good conversations. Um, transitioning out of that one into, um, Keely put in, um, actually kind of, it, it is not dissimilar from the research you have been working on. Um, but there's a new article that, that just came out. Um, and I believe it's, it's from, from the same individual that you're working that you, that your own study has been run with. Right. Yep. Yeah, so Dr. Kelly Pritchett out of Central Washington University has been working with a couple other grad students on um, another survey-based study. Um, This one was with Sophia Berg as the other main collaborator, um, looking at the self-reported history of eating disorders, training, weight control methods, and body satisfaction in elite female runners who competed in the 2020 U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials. Um, so they actually targeted all 300 plus women who were in the trials to see if they wanted to complete this survey. They ended up getting around 146 females mm. to complete the survey. So, you know, about 50%, a little less than 50% of people decided to take the survey, which, you know, is, is a step, but it's not great. Um, but again, like you're targeting a very niche, a niche, per, um, a group of women. And so getting the buy-in is probably pretty tough, especially when it's a, st- a study around eating disorders. I feel like that's a big uh, turn off to a lot of women because it, it does make us feel uncomfortable to be open about ourselves. Um, but some of the things that came out of this were pretty interesting, at least to me. Um, they're again, highlighted a very high prevalence of eating disorder in this group of women um, with about a 33% prevalence rate, which is a lot higher than previous studies. Um, but also I think potentially eating disorders are getting more awareness. People are maybe willing to seek help and identify with having one. Um, but it also could just be showing that this could be getting worse in female athletes. And so I think it is showing that it is very prevalent and we do need to be very concerned about it. Um, but one thing else they found with these eating disorder um, participants is that those with eating disorders did have higher levels of body dissatisfaction and those with higher body masses also had more dissatisfaction. Um, but the cool thing, I guess, in this study is that there was no difference in performance based off any of these, right? So larger, higher body mass women, lower body mass women, no difference in performance, um, eating disorder, no eating disorder, no difference in performance. And so these people are like focusing on changing their body, but at the end of the day, like their body size is letting them compete just as good as any other body size. And so it seems like hopefully with more and more studies coming out that are, you know, going against past studies that were conducted on men that showcase, you know, men at the these lower weights are running faster than men at higher weights. Well, actually it's not the case in women. Hopefully we'll start changing that narrative. So maybe people aren't being so critical of their body size because actually they're able to perform at their highest level regardless. Yeah. That's a pretty important take home message. I think 
and and I'm really curious to see what the trail community comes back with because mm-hmm. I think you guys yeah. asked a very similar set of questions. Um, and yeah. so curious to know, obviously very niche group, um, yeah. very select group there. I think the the trail studies kind of much more broad as far as experience, age, gender, ability. So that'll be yeah, very we got over three thousand participants. So that's a huge so cool. yeah, we got it's amazing. <laughs> So yeah, that'll to come, come probably in, in a next... couple of months, we'll get to talk about it. So heck yeah. yeah. Um, but you also added, um, some more really kind of exciting news this past week. Um, yeah, I'm so, so stoked with the sporting world right now. Yeah. The LPGA tour. Can you fill us in kind of what's going on there? Yeah. It seems like every week now there's another governing body of women's sports that are kind of following suit to the WNBA, which is really cool. And this week, one I found was to deal with the LPGA tour, so women's golf. Um, and this is P&G and Kroger partnering together to put on a Kroger Queen City Championship, which is just a huge golf tournament that they're going to host in Cincinnati. Cincinnati being chosen because it is a city that does need a little bit of help with female health or female sports and kind of providing to underrepresented females and women without means to be able to get into sport. Um, and one of their goals, their mission of this program is to identify and support the next generation of game changers. So women's in sports from both the corporate and entrepreneurial communities of Cincinnati. And one of their initiatives that I thought was really cool is to close the chore gap. Um, and they're basically going to reach out to women in sport and their households and start providing a lot of education around how they can divvy up chores so that women don't have all of the house responsibilities that has been, you know, kind of prominent in the past. Um, they also have a family center at their tournament that will give mom space to pump breastfeed and all of those things so that they have a private, like very quiet place to do those things, which is awesome. And up until recently, I thought that was commonplace, but I was actually talking to one of my dear friends who was at a an expo for her job, which was about all organic natural foods and a very, very, very like progressive group. There was no space for her to pump at all. And so I think while this seems something that we should have done a long time ago and we should have it all of these big venues, I do think that this is a really good thing that they're they're adding this and making a point to show that they are. Yeah, places for moms to to feed and pump, but also um like male or family changing rooms that ha- are like or 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 family bathrooms that have changing tables for kids because that that makes an automatic assumption, right? Well, to change a baby, you have to go to the women's the women's bathroom um to do that. And so making sure that that's available in all in all bathroom spaces if they're going to be particularly if they're going to be gendered, if you're not going to have gendered bathrooms, it makes it a lot yeah. easier. Um but in a lot of these areas the bathrooms are still gendered. Um, outside of maybe a family restroom. And so um, making sure that there are things like changing tables in the men's bathroom is also equally important because there's an assumption that dads aren't doing any of it, um, which doesn't set anyone up for success either. So hopefully um, that there was a a tweet that went out about that, I think at at a big sporting event um, over the last two weeks as well. So hopefully something else to just slowly pick apart and, and improve for the sake of of everyone trying to trying to make it in this world, particularly if you're trying to make it while taking care of small children, which seems like just a feat of, I don't know, strength, brilliance, something like that. Um, okay. <laughs> We're going to move on to the meat and potatoes today, but before we do that, we have to give a shout out to one of our other primary sponsors and other brands making this possible. And that is the feed. Um, mm-hmm. 
We've talked a lot about them over the course of the past couple months. I think I, I get to order my, my September box here soon of new snacks. And I'm finally going to try some of the coffee that Keely has been recommending. And I'm wondering, Keely, if you've gotten anything new and exciting recently to up your snack game from the feed. Mm, so this last feed box, I got more coffee, so that doesn't count, but I also got, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I got, I got the RX bar plant protein bars. So not the animal protein ones, but the plant ones. And I personally love them. Cool. Um, they are less sugary and like sweet than the regular RX bars and a lot less sticky. So the texture is like completely different. It's filled mm. with pea protein and a couple other things. And I really like those a lot. And then um, I also tried a new kind of picky bar granola. It's like apple cinnamon cardamom cool. and yeah, it's basically like dessert. So that was my go-to post-dinner snack. It's supposed to be for breakfast, but it's post-dinner snack for me. <laughs> I think that's great. I love a little protein, a little protein carbohydrate snack before bed to get to tide me over get me through to the next morning, particularly as like you're training, well, you're training more on mm-hmm. feet, I would say. You're kind of easing off the bike a little bit and getting back to running. And I'm sure that that has kind of cranked everything up and make you feel like you're getting back into some normal training rhythm. Yeah, definitely. It also like my body gets one day I was just so sore. It's just, you go like nine weeks without running and then you start running again and you still keep biking. Your body's just like, what are you doing? Like, I've never felt that sore in my life. And it was just from running and biking. Like, it's kind of crazy. I just, a good reminder. (laughs) We're constantly beginners, but if you would like to try um, any of the products that are offered over at the feed, you can go to www.thefeed.com and there you can use code trail society 15 for 15% off your order. So go, I don't know, load up on your pant, like fill your pantry, get some new bars, get some new coffee, um, get something fun, try something new. So again, www.thefeed.com and you can use our code trail society 15 to get some whole new snacks in your pantry to up your training game. But we're going to dive into the, the thick of it now, the thick of our show. Cause we've talked about super easy topics up until this point, right? <laughs> so chill. What a chill, a really chill show. episode. <laughs> so, kind of my life. So I'm like, yeah, I feel comfortable with this. <laughs> so chill. We just mentioned that Keely is recovering <laughs> from an injury. I am back home stateside. I bailed on Europe two and a half weeks early to come mm. see my PT to kind of get stuff dialed. Danielle, you've had COVID twice I think you got the double whammy yeah I got rebound COVID (laughs) the three of us are just doing really really awesome and so when we realized that Hilly couldn't join us today we're like you know what we got to have Danielle on to talk about the mental side of injuries and coping with our identity in sport and so you're here today to to help fix us I think well, first of all, you guys don't need fixing. You're just a part of being human is grieving and learning how to manage disappointment. Um, yes. if, you know, just a reminder, I think that a lot of times this happens when we experience negative emotions is like, there's something wrong with us feeling this way when, you know, I don't know, I look at my training schedule and I put so much time and effort and passion into this crazy sport. And I think about when, how much we like dial in to make it as perfect as possible. And then the things that can happen that are just so incredibly out of our control. And then, you know, wanting to play off that it's not a big deal when the reality is, is like, yeah, maybe how we place 
doesn't have to emphasize like emphasize how strong we are as much as we like put that attention on it. But in reality, like not being able to carry out something that you love in a plan is disappointing and it sucks. And I think it's really important to just like honor that piece of it. Like it's hard. So welcome to being human. <laughs> Glad you could join us. <laughs> totally. Oh, it's hard being human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think for like the first couple of years of my like athletic career, I felt really embarrassed that I put so much into my self-worth as an athlete. Right. It was like trying to hide it from everyone was like, Oh yeah. Well, I feel okay. I feel fine. Like I'm not allowed to feel upset because I can't run because running is like a privilege and running is all these great things. And it's something I choose to do, but, but at the end of the day, like it is something we put all of ourselves into for a long amount of time. And we put like all of our mental energy into that. And so I think when it is taken away from us, it's, it's really, really hard. And I think I've finally gotten to the point where I've acknowledged that I'm allowed to grieve that I don't have it anymore, but definitely took me a really long time. And it still feels kind of uncomfortable. It feels kind of silly because you're like, this is just running. I mean, I, I think it kind of comes, you know, I say this a lot. I kind of feel like a broken record, but holding to emotions, like you can understand that it's a privileged mindset to have that we get to, you know, adventure and do these awesome things. And also that it's really sad when we do struggle and experience these uh, setbacks. Yeah. Yeah. We're just all sitting in our emotions right now. We're just three people that are slowly fighting their way back to, to running and the sport they love and, and racing. I know that I think all of our calendars were kicked to the curb in a big way with this. Um, and I think sitting in that unknown, like the unknown of the injury timeline is really hard. The unknown of like, do I keep things on the calendar is really hard. How, how can we think about, and I mean, I think that you've had to go through this too with the with rebound COVID is like, how, like, how can individuals, you know, have, I guess, like sit, I guess, sit with the unknown and feel com- not necessarily comforted by it, but like, how can we better work with it just because it's, you can't rush it. You have to be patient. And that's so hard. Yeah. I mean, I think that as a society, we often, I'm trying to think of the exact word that I want to use, but I think we often like hide away from disappointment But what we don't recognize that like, even if we do our best to protect ourselves from disappointment, we're going to feel it at some level. And it's not necessarily a bad thing because it offers us the opportunity to look at um, opposites and kind of polarity of life. And without the good and bad, we don't really feel how good things can be. And, you know, it's interesting as you're talking about this. I kind of recognize my own maladaptive coping skills where I never get too invested in any race. I like sign up for races really late just in case something bad happens. And then I'm never fully a hundred percent invested in a race because I'm like, I don't know, all these things could happen. Mm -hmm. So I was supposed to run 10 away. I hope I said that right. A hundred. And I just like quickly pivoted and found a new hundred to run. So rather than kind of like even letting myself feel super disappointed about it, I was like, oh, well, there's another race, not running it. I'm going to go to this next one. And I kind of like highlight that because I think it's, 
it's really vulnerable and impressive when people are open to giving themselves a hundred percent to a race mm. because it, it, then you have to feel it mm-hmm. versus, you, you know, not ever really committing a hundred percent. That's courageous. That's super interesting too, to think, to think of it in, in like in that, in, in those ways of this, like, you know, but it is, it's putting yourself out there, right. To be like, okay, I'm doing this thing. I'm committing to it. And it's like, who knows what's going to happen in the in-between. And I think that, that to me relates to kind of the, like, it's not dissimilar from the process of trying to learn to trust your body again mm-hmm. and trust mm-hmm. yourself again. And it's like, that kind of sounds like you're stuck in that a little bit. It's like where you don't trust that like life is going to give you the like green light, the go ahead, you know, even if it's not necessarily your body that's getting in the way, like you're worried that something else might get in the way between now and race day. And that's kind of, I think that's so similar to the idea of like, I panicked during TDS. Mm-hmm. I was like, Nope, don't trust my body. I'm out done. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that's a very, a very like similar line of thought. Yeah. I I mean, and it's, it's a way to man, like all of these things that we've been talking about are a way to manage things that are out of our control because it's really uncomfortable to sit in that. Like, I don't know what this is going to look like, which is like kind of the history of most injuries of like, we don't know what that's going to do. And ironically, one of the things that ultra running teaches us is how to problem solve in the moment and brainstorm and be adaptive. But up until we need to be that adaptive when we're out on the course or in that adventure, a lot of us are like white knuckling to try to keep everything as pristine and, you know, perfect as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that was kind of me going into Western States was like, okay, for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm going all in, I'm controlling all of these things. Like there's all of these things that are within my control. So I'm going to control them. And then it's like, oh wait, there are certain things that we can't control in this sport. But when that happens, it almost makes you doubt everything because then you're like, well, I just put my whole soul into this. I controlled everything I could have controlled. It still didn't work. And so like, for me, like initially, as I thought the injury wasn't so bad, I felt okay. But then as soon as you find out that it's this like dilapidating injury that like technically could end your career, it's like, I almost felt like unmotivated to try again. Cause it's just so disheartening to be like, I'm going to build all the way back from this and then potentially have all this happen again. And it's just so hard to trust that it won't happen. And it's hard to go on knowing that it could. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know what my take on that is? You know what I've decided to do moving, <laughs> moving towards 2023 is that I'm just giving myself a bib season where it's like for the last so many years, I mean, pending COVID in a year where I was out with injury, it's like, I've had like a big race or two big races a year. And that those being like big hundreds. So it's really hard for me to race mm-hmm. anything else in those leadups. Like even, I don't know, with, with life, it was hard to get to other races. And so it's like, you know what? Like I haven't done a 30 K in a long time. I haven't done a VK in a long time. I haven't done a cross country race in a long time. And I'm excited to just like, I think it's, it's even harder when you're in the, like the, the long ultra game, because Mm -hmm. you don't, you get so few opportunities to put yourself out there in a season. So it's like, you get like two, it's like having, I don't know, like a a review of your performance at work. You get like one a year or two a year. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like that has been 
that has served me well and not served me well in years past. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to give myself lots of opportunities for success and lots of opportunities to fail. Hmm. And it's like, it's not, it's not so much that I hope that I'm like awesome at all of it. It's just to like be able to have that opportunity to like put myself out there and get to experience those things and practice those things as opposed to being like, okay, this is my one big race. It's all or nothing. It's this one thing. So that like, I have other things to reflect on too. If for some reason something goes wrong down the road, it's kind of like, it's my new safety net. It's just, to, I'm just going to race a bunch of weird races and call it good. That's kind of like a Danielle tactic. I feel like <laughs> just sign up for a ton of them <laughs> and you can't well, put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think there's like so many different ways to do it. And I, one of the challenges I see with the athletes I work with and within myself and just having this conversation is this short, and I say this with love and compassion, but the short-sightedness of of ultra running and like seasons that we define ourselves by these like individual races. And we define like who we are as a person by these moments in time when like zooming out this very small moment in time is not going to impact us long-term if, if we let it or if we don't let it. So like, we get to decide how this moment is going to play into our narrative. So like, you know, Keely and I have talked about this a lot is that as a society, we like to tell stories of people who are like successful and like the beautiful princess story or the beautiful like race where the person wins after they've been really injured. But we like, don't talk about the injury. We don't talk about like, I don't know, princess story we don't talk about the hardship of all the people like she dated before i really know a lot of princess <laughs> stories <laughs> but that came to my mind um whereas like it it doesn't have to be a negative so like you have to feel the feelings of being disappointed and frustrated but then you also get to establish a lot of growth opportunities from this hard time and as much as I wish that hard times didn't equate growth, there are very few experiences I know of that, like, if you are not struggling, then you're learning. Like, they kind of come hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, my ego took a huge hit, I feel like, with this injury. I think at first I was feeling okay because I was like, okay, you know what? This is fine. It wasn't in my control. This injury was kind of a freak thing. Like I have to give myself some slack, but then slowly, like, as you continue to go soldiering on, you're realizing that like, I had put a lot of myself into this and my confidence is just so crappy right now. And I feel like it took me a while to realize it was low. And then it took me a while to kind of climb out of that hole too, to realize like, okay, I can change this. I'm in, I have the power to turn that around and to change my thought of myself, but like, it wasn't easy. Um, but I actually like, I found a study while we were kind of talking about all this this morning about athletes coping with injury. There's actually been a ton of research in this, in this space, which is kind of cool. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's talked about, but it should be, um, <laughs> because as soon as I read it, I felt better. They basically were like, we studied a ton of professional male athletes, female athletes, footballers, all of these things. And a lot of the common things that I read through a lot of these studies that I will link here in the show notes was that everyone felt like decreased self-esteem, anxiety, yeah. stress, anger, disbelief. There weren't really that many positives. And they were all of these like roller coasters of emotions that everyone was pretty much 
like the same on and none of this is talked about and reading it made me feel a lot better because I was like, Oh, this is what everybody goes through. Yeah. You're not alone all of a sudden. Right. No, but it is not uncommon that, you know, the first thing that happens when someone gets injured is they isolate. Yeah. And so like the thing, so they're isolating, they're not getting outdoors. They're not getting the endorphins. Most people that they're used to getting when they're exercising and they're not talking about it. And that's like Mm. a recipe for depression. Mm -hmm. And so like, it makes sense that we struggle so much when we're injured, especially if this is our community. Yeah. Dee, I loved when you, when you got COVID kind of that second time we were on a walk in Boulder and you were like kind of walking me through your mindset progression of like, okay, I got COVID the first time. Let's reevaluate some training goals. Okay. I've been out longer than I thought. Oh, I got COVID a second time. Like let's reevaluate all of this. And I feel like you came to a pretty good conclusion about like things outside of your control being very black or white almost to a degree, instead of something that's a lot more gray and how that kind of gave you peace with the decision to not do the hundred and and kind of pivot. And yeah, I mean, I, you know, one of the things I had a supervisor once tell me is like, we can't control the weather, but we can control how we dress for it. And I found that really meaningful because it's like, all right, here's this situation. I have literally no control over. And anyone who knows me knows that I love control. Um, and Don't we all, yeah, I mean, I do think this is like a common thread in us. And, you know, I can fight it a lot, but like it's gonna rain. And if I am fighting it, I'm not preparing for it. So I'm not bringing my good rain socks, I'm not bringing my rain jacket. I'm wasting precious time fighting something that is going to happen. There's this term in therapy called radical acceptance. It's not necessarily talking about weather, but I really appreciate it. (laughs) And it's like, you don't have to agree with it, but you got to accept it because it's out of your control. Hmm. And so the longer we, you know, you have to process and you have to grieve, the longer you fight the injury or the loss or the race, you can't move forward. Hmm. So I think it's, really important to know that you can manage and control how you grow from it and how you do like accept and think about it in the future. Yeah. That kind of advances to the, the quote that my grandma always, the phrase my my grandma always said was there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing choices. Yeah. With the idea being like, you can pack your galoshes, you can pack a rain jacket, like you can choose how you're going to deal with disappointment or deal Mm -hmm. with injury or deal with crappy weather. Right. Like, I think that's kind of what that, like, to me, it's like, that's empowering. Like there's still the unknown. There's still the things that I can't control inherently, but I can choose to like, we, so when I did biathlon, weather was really important, right. You come into the shooting range, it could be really, really windy. And that kind of sucks. Like, and it's like, kind of, it's just bad luck. And so my coach always said, you know, you can't control the weather, but you can control what time you go to bed. Mm -hmm. You can control what you have for dinner and you can control like, you know, like taking care of yourself. Like you have control over those things you got, but they're, you know, and just kind of like relinquishing control on the rest of it. And I think there's a lot of, you know, lessons that I've been able to take from that mindset and apply directly to the unknown injury timeline that feels just so, so out of your control. Mm. I also think you can control your attitude which can be really difficult, but like 
you can cry the entire time it's raining or you can be like, all right, what is the rain going to bring for me? And it's not like you're not annoyed by the rain, but at the same time, like at a certain point, there's this option to be like, all right, I'm like, it's, it's time to move forward. And as three women who spend a lot of time in the Pacific Northwest, you have to just embrace the rain a little bit. You can still bitch about it, but you know, it's going to happen gonna happen you gotta put put your Gore-Tex shoes on and go for a run anyway yeah Yeah. (laughs) I think it's interesting though talking about control because I think um you can have a too strong of a sense of control when you are injured as well I noticed like little tendencies of myself kind of started to flare up when I was you know really trying to control everything because you can start to divert towards negative things you used to do right like you're trying to control what you're eating to a t you're trying to control everything that you're doing to a t which is a really negative trajectory and you don't want to go that way because that's just going to spiral you back to where you were before but i find that like it's easy to get into that control mindset in into on into that control mindset a little bit too far as well when you are injured because you don't have anything else to do and your sense of worth is kind of down so you're like okay well what can i control right now because i can't zoom out i'm i'm too fixated on what's going on in me in this in the short term so what can i control right here and and that's kind of a tricky battle too and so i feel like being cognizant of your sense of control and how that control can help you, but also being cognizant that that sense of control can also be your demise is like really important differentiation. Yeah. I mean, I, it's interesting because I do think that not a hundred percent, but the type of people that are attracted to this sport, you know, I, I think sometimes people are like, Oh yeah, trail runners are really relaxed. And I do think there is a, um, there are relaxed trail runners, but I think there are also a lot of trail runners who are very committed to training and kind of downplay it and kind of use running as a way to manage a lot of unknowns and symptoms of like stress and anxiety and mental health. And, you know, this, uh, what can happen, we can think we're doing really well in life and we may not even realize how we depend on certain elements of our sport to be healthy. And so sometimes, you know, I know that happened to me during COVID when I like stopped moving as much, I was like, oh, like my relationship with my body isn't as healthy as I think, because I haven't been stopping to check in with it. Mm-hmm. And so that's like an uncomfortable realization, but also a positive of like injuries for force us to stop and reevaluate our relationship with our mental health and and with our sport. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of something my therapist had said when we were chatting about this as well, as she was like, you know, we're all doing pretty well when things are going well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like it's yeah. like, take something to kind of t- derail you a bit to kind of open back up those wounds and make you, make you take a look inside and accept that maybe you're not doing great and then you can work on it. Or that you've started to depend on things or like got stuck in old patterns of behavior that make you feel safe, that maybe don't serve you the best long-term. 
And Danielle had helped me kind of write an article for a free trail. You guys can pop over and read it uh, about DNF because DNF is kind of top of mind right now. Oh, heck. <laughs> Danielle yeah, had a is. DNS, but Corinne and I have recently had DNFs at our two major races. And, you know, DNFs aren't very fun, but they are super common in this sport. And like what we're demanding of our body is, is extreme and most likely in our career as an ultra trail athlete, we're going to experience a DNF. Um, and they're not very fun, but I think there's a lot of ways we can start to cope on them. Um, and D helped me a lot with this. And she also assisted in this article. And I'm just going to kind of kick it off with one of her quotes. She says, DNFs are challenging because we care a lot and it's disappointing when we give our all and it doesn't turn out the way we want, but we become stronger runners by working through missteps. Failure isn't a bad thing. It's an opportunity for growth. Ultra running is a game of longevity and strong foundation. Every time we experience, experience failure, we get another opportunity to rise up, to rise above. Wow, really, I sound very profound. Right? You are Good profound. Work, Danielle. <laughs> you wrote that. Those are your words. <laughs> but it's so true. Like, I think you can dwell on the DNF as like a way that you failed and kind of leave it at that. But if you can somehow transition your mental status to viewing it in the positive light, it's just going to be so helpful. So can you walk us through some of the, the ways you talk with clients, Danielle, or maybe you talk us through a DNF or something that didn't happen the way you wanted it to? Yeah. I mean, I think we've started to talk about it a little bit before, but giving yourself time to be human and feel that grief and loss is really appropriate. It is like the number one step that we feel guilty about and it keeps us stuck. So if you are fighting radical acceptance, you can't move forward. You, you have to feel sad. Like sadness is not a bad thing. Um, and the more, you know, like that's number one, feel it. Then give yourself a time limit. So like, this is a really important part of DNFs in my perspective is making sure that you aren't prolonging the grief. So putting it kind of into appropriate terms. So you had a DNF, let's say, and you're not injured. If you're still thinking about it in two months, that's, it might be a red flag that it, it's time to get some extra support outside because it already happened and, uh, you know, you have to start to move forward with it. You can't continue to, um, like grasp onto something that has happened and you can heal from. And, you know, like one of the things that I often think about with DNFs is when we are in a comfort zone and we are never challenging ourselves, then we never push our limits or our boundaries. And we're always comfortable, but as humans and as athletes, the goal is really to find, um, like a balance between being in our comfortable zone and being so uncomfortable. We can't function. We want to find like that perfect middle ground that challenges enough. But what happens when we're in that middle ground, sometimes we fail because we are asking ourselves to do some really hard things. Like the amount of, you know, that like, it's so funny, but the adage of like, I don't even want to drive my car that far, or <laughs> it's so cold out, what are you doing? Or whatever it is like, yeah, that is what we're doing. And it is really challenging. 
So DNF is just part of the sport. And it's important to recognize that if you are choosing to push yourself in a safe way, DNFs are going to help us like move forward, but also help us understand our limits and where we need to grow and where we need to, I don't know. Let's take that part out where I said, I don't know. Basically just we need to grow. Well, I mean, yeah. And I feel like DNFs can also show us, they can also highlight our weaknesses, right? Because if we're unwilling to DNF at all costs, then we're putting ourselves through harm for no reason. But, you know, if we're, if we're willing to DNF because it keeps ourselves healthier, it gives us that longevity that we're searching for in sport. Then I think that's, that's kind of a badge of honor of a DNF. Yeah. Well, I think it's easy. People are like, well, if I DNF, like it's going to be so much easier to DNF again. And it's like, no, I don't, I don't think so. Cause I think we should like that, that whole death before DNF mentality needs to be checked at the door or gate or something of that nature. I don't think it has any, I don't think it has any space in any of our lives. It shouldn't be given any space in any of our lives. It's not, I don't think it's a good mentality to, to try to, to, to uh, it's not a good mentality and it's not a healthy mentality. It's dangerous. It and is. It's, it's not teaching us a strong relationship with our body or our Like you can be, one of the things I work with a lot of athletes on is that you can be a really tough runner and still know when it's time to call it. Yeah. A hundred percent. It doesn't make you weaker. It doesn't make you less tough to know, to know when to quit. Knowing when to quit is a really, is a skill and honestly a strength. I think that a lot of runners are afraid to kind of work and flex that muscle. Totally. Because if you like if you keep pushing yourself to the point where you can't compete anymore, or you're going to be out for a year, like that's not finesse. And as runners, we really need a level of finesse. And I am always saying like, no one race should define your career, should define who you are. And when we kind of have these death before DNFs, that, that implements and like produces runners who are always trying to prove themselves. Yeah. Which is, I don't know, not a fun way to live. I would say I definitely know, know people in our sport like that have friends like that have once been like that. And I would say Mm -hmm. it's come, come to the, come to this side of the sport. It's really, I think it's, (laughs) it's fun to recognize that, you know, it's, it's really, it's a lot easier to enjoy the sport and enjoy what I get to do in the sport being on this side of things. Now being on a side of I wouldn't say it's maturity per se, because I think, I don't think that is necessary, but I think it's, you know, knowing that I expect a lot from my body, but I also have to respect my body or my mind, you know, DNFs are not always physical. They can be because your well is empty and dry and, you know, going to that well emotionally, even if you're physically okay, that can be, you know, that's one of the hardest, one of the races that was the hardest on me ever was finishing the North face 50 mile in 2017, I want to say, like, I had, like, I didn't know that I could quit. I didn't have a ride home. And I was like, well, the easiest way for me, cause I didn't live in San Francisco yet. is the easiest way for me to get back to where I'm supposed to be is to go to the finish. And it was 
physically really hard on me, but it was emotionally really hard on me. And it took a long time to recover from that. Not because of the physicality of the race, but because of the depths I had to go to just to make it to the finish line. There were years running in San Francisco where I was like, I think I've cried on every single one of these Hills. And it was all from that one race experience. And so it's like, there's no, there's no official reason why you should DNF. I think a lot of us talk about like, well, if you're going to hurt yourself, that's a reason, that's a reason to, to, to get yourself off that race course, but emotionally the well can just be dry. And that is something that you need to really check in with yourself on because that is, can be equally damaging. Yeah. This is something that we're doing, even if you're doing it professionally, because you enjoy it. I mean, I think it's really difficult when you're a professional runner and it is kind of mixed between it being your source of income but also something you're doing for fun. However, when I like zoom out in like professions, if you are miserable going to work every single day, you'd probably take a mental health day. (laughs) You'd want to take care of yourself. Yeah, totally. At least recently you would up until now. I feel like that was never really an option, but. Yeah. And I, I just like kind of just step back for a second. One thing that I, like to say is that you can still hold yourself accountable and train really hard and push really hard and be compassionate. And I think that that's one of the things that we talk about as athletes and struggle with is that I'm like becoming soft means I'm not going to hold myself accountable. And that's just not true. You can be compassionate and accountable. So yeah, you can be, it turns out you can be more than one thing at a time. That's the conversation I've had a lot about a lot of things recently. It turns out you can be more than one thing at a time, can, professionally, emotionally. Yeah. Hmm. You can love cookies and ice cream. <laughs> you don't have to just choose one. You don't have to choose one. So I guess to kind of round out this conversation about DNFs, if, if someone listening to this has recently had their own DNF, be it due to injury or pending injury or, or whatever it might be, you know, the well, the well being empty, the spirit sponge being dry, whatever it might be, what, what, you know, are some words of advice that they can take away with them to, to try to help them into whatever the next chapter of this season or next season is for them. Honor it. It's not going to last forever. Give yourself some space. I, I think that, you know, that's something I've been saying a lot in this podcast thus far is that give yourself space to feel the emotions. But if we don't let ourselves feel, our body holds on to those emotions and that loss. And one of the ways that we are able to take and release it is through feeling it and talking about it. It's interesting. Um, animals, after they experience a big trauma, they shake. And so like a deer it being chased by a lion, if they like make it out alive, the deer actually all huddle together and they like let themselves shake together to help their like bodies regulate and release Hmm. the emotions. Sounds like dog shake, dog shake off all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Dogs are shaking off their energy. It like helps ground them. And our form of shaking is through processing and talking about it. So basically we aren't able to move forward and grow if we don't shake. 
I would thought I, you're about to tell me that I was just allowed to have dance parties whenever I, I mean, yes, emotionally <laughs> shake process it off. something. Actually, it is really good for our bodies to move. So okay. <laughs> shake it off. And talk. In the words of Taylor Swift, shake it <laughs> shake off. Shake it off. <laughs> I love that so much. I think we're going to round out or leave our conversation on DNFs there for today. But before we let Danielle go, we're going to go through some society slams. Again, society slam is brought to you by Aura Ring. I'm really, really happy to have them on board as a partner this year. Um, and that'd be something to slide into our DMs about. Let us know if you've got questions about using something like Aura Ring, using something like Aura Ring in conjunction with something like Natural Cycles mm -hmm. um, for birth control. We are kind of uber nerds over here at Trail Society. So, uh, you know, slide into our DMs. Let us yeah. ask us your questions. We've got, yeah. we've got some things to think about. And we're going to be, um, this is going to be news to Corinne too, but we're going to be partnering with Natural Cycles with our Aura Rings to test it out for them as well. So we'll get to provide Yay. all sorts of insights on Natural Cycles for you guys as well. That's super, super exciting. Yeah. So cool. I've been talking, I've been talking it up to everyone. So this makes me feel extra special. Oh, me too. I've talked it up so much now that JT can describe it. <laughs> yes. Perfect. The men, the men are on board. This is what we, this is what we've this been what we aiming for the entire time. Um, okay. Keely, you've got a society slam. I'll read Hilly's society slam. And then I, my society slam will be adding to your society slam. Cool. Cool. Hit us. Um, so I had an athlete run the Cairns 120 kilometer race this past weekend in North Queensland, Australia. And she sent me some stats beforehand showing that they had actually over half of their participants um, register as female. And so they were actually short on singlets for females because they had gauged all their participation numbers off of previous races. And they were shocked at how many women signed up for this one. Um, she says it's like a super welcoming race because it has a lot of different trail uh, distances. So it's not just all 120 kilometers. And so she thinks a lot of the runners were there, but just a really cool number to throw out there that, you know, Australia's getting some, some women into trail running and, and this, they this really tracks, showed up. This tracks against their other races as well. So the UTMB world series is working with, um, uh, her, she used to be in charge of the ultra world tour, Marion. Oh, Marie Simmons. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she's kind of been tasked with trying to help increase participation mm -hmm. of women within the UTMB world series as well. I think that is actually part of the reason why they added the ETC this year that explore Cormier mm -hmm. race Which to add worked. another yeah. kind of introductory race. And that we saw this at the rut this weekend it had about 50% participation. And that was because mm -hmm. if you look across all the races, it helps to average out to the longer distances. Mm -hmm. That's what happened here at the Cairns 120 K it's what's happening at Tarawera in New Zealand. And it's what's happening at ultra trail Australia, um, in Australia, where, um, they're having upwards of 20 to 30% women compete in the longest distances, which is a little bit better than what we have going, mm -hmm. uh, definitely in Europe and for sure in the U S as well. Um, but adding races like a 20 K, uh, like a 50 K, like a 20 K, um, like a half marathon ish distance, those races do bring in, um, a wider range of participants and greatly improves the number of female participants in a race weekend. And so it's a way to get people into the sport, to welcome them into the community and for them to kind of move up in race distances year after year. So that is supported by a bunch of other races, particularly happening in Australia and New Zealand, but the rut numbers were very similar to that as well with the 11 K mm -hmm. in the mix, um, cool. with the VK and the 11 K. So that's super, super cool to see. 
So that's kind of me just piggybacking for my society slam. Um, I was helping uh, Zoe over at Trail Runner with an article about UTMB women's participation. Mm. So that's where those numbers are coming from. And then um, Hillary left Society Slam for us. And it was um, from IG, from a listener who wrote in. And she said, I listened to you, Corinne and Keely on the podcast. Whenever it comes out, you three have inspired me as a runner. I started running back in 2017 because someone told me I didn't look athletic. Shame. I'm adding my own words here. Shame on whoever told her that or whoever told them that. So I wanted to prove them wrong. I fell in love with running in the process. You all inspire me to reach for my dreams and feel better as well. Watching you finish UTMB gives me that little addition of courage to go for it. Thank you all Mm -hmm. for being exactly who you are and keep crushing it. And the outpouring of love for kind of our vulnerability, which I say is not vulnerability, it's authenticity. I am who I am, um, be that vulnerable or otherwise. And so it's been really, you all are a very supportive community and it's it's really, really cool that that is the community that, that we've grown with Trail Society is one of one of inclusion and one of one of community. And we hope to continue to grow that in the months to come. I think that's it for us this week. Danielle, any last words you want to impart on our listeners? I'm just like still have shake it off in my head. So I think I'm going <laughs> to remind everyone to just keep shaking it off. So with that, keep shaking it off, slide into our DMs with questions, with words of support, with words of criticism, whatever you got. And until next time, we'll see you out on the trail. Bye.